Hey, my name is Paul Hahn, and my wife, Fran, and I live here in Athens. We've lived here about a year, and I work nationally with missions uh, with the Presbyterian Church in America, as has been said. But maybe most important is uh, today is I'm really a lifelong friend of Hal Farnsworth. Hal and Mary Beth, it is so good to have you back. Mary Beth, of course it is good to have you back. Hal, it is good to have you back, too. And uh, I don't know if you've called Hal's cell phone since he's been back, but it's so funny to me. It doesn't say, hi, I'm Hal Farnsworth, Pastor Redeemer. Leave a message. It says, hey, I'm back from sabbatical. Leave a message. I'll call you back. He is ready to roll, man. He is going at it. Um, I was with some friends this week, and we were uh, telling some old Hal stories, and we all have fun little Hal sayings we like to share around. One is that he always likes to say, you know, Athens, man, Athens is the Greenwich Village of the South. Did you know that? That's where you're living, Greenwich Village of the South. Um, One he likes to say a lot is, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes in worship, it's like a dancing fish. You just have to watch and see. It's amazing. Uh, My favorite one of all is a good friend of ours named Jeffrey. He says to Jeff, Jeffrey, you ask so many questions. It's just like when you're wading out in a pond or something, it's just like brim just nipping at your body all over. You're just asking so many questions. Hal, welcome back. There's your roasting. What I love about Hal, though, is what you love about Hal, right? And that is that he loves you. You know that he loves you because he knows Jesus loves him. And he wants to be a vehicle of sharing that love of Jesus out to you. And most of all, what Hal is about is about the kingdom of God. It is not here so much to plant a church, one church, but to be a part of a movement of churches in this city, in this region, to see the kingdom of God come and grow. Uh, you've been spending all summer hearing great people. I've heard some of the sermons, a great series of sermons in his absence on what is the kingdom of God? How do we get it? How do we catch it? How do we understand it? And, and sort of in finishing off that time this summer, I, I was asked to do one more sermon on that. So I wanted to take you to one of these parables you've been looking at, Matthew chapter 13, parables that are very familiar, the mustard seed and the leaven, but I think they go together to talk about how the kingdom of God comes and grows. Will you hear God's word now read? Kept for you across the ages, read for you now to be life and blessing. Matthew 13, beginning in verse 31. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being the king in the kingdom of God. Thank you for coming to preach the gospel of the kingdom to us, to 
teach it, to work it out in the way that you brought healing and blessing and encouragement and challenge, especially by making it all possible by your coming fully God yet fully man to die for our sins and be raised to new life to show us that the kingdom has really begun and we can hope and pray and look and even join you in laboring for its fullness. So Jesus, may we catch your kingdom on growth today. May that challenge us and encourage us and give us hope. May, if we're outside of the kingdom, we be brought into the kingdom today. If we're in the kingdom, Lord, may we be strengthened in our hope and joy and life of your kingdom. Please, O King, bring it in. Bring it in now and forever. We pray, Jesus, this all in your name. Amen. Well, you had to be up early, right? But if you were up and out early this morning, it was there, right? It was in the air, that first little hint of fall, right? The breeze was blowing. It was much cooler than it has been. And it was just there, that, that beginning, that hint that something is around the corner. It may be a ways around the corner till it really comes in fullness, but a change is coming. Fall really can be a reality on the way. That's really how the kingdom of God functions in so many ways. We get little tastes and hints of it. Jesus came to bring it in. He, he began all of his preaching, right, in his public ministry with, repent, turn around, and look away in a new direction because the kingdom of God is at hand. And he came to, to live it out, to show the miracles and the blessings of the kingdom, to feed and to heal and to calm the storms and to begin to make things new to even drive out the demonic world from his presence. And then, of course, he came to die and then to rise again, to begin to make the kingdom here in fullness. But we just have a beginning of it. And so it can be so hard to catch, can't it? You know, when I was, I played baseball all the way through college. It was sort of the sport. I played a lot of sports, but it's the one that I really stayed with. And when I was a little boy, I hated baseball. It was the hardest. Like I, and the one thing I couldn't do was ever turn my glove over. You know, I, I kept wanting to run around and catch the ball like this on this side of the body, even if it was thrown way over here. It was so hard for me to turn my glove over and catch the ball. And my dad just convinced me after one day, I threw my glove down on the ground at about four or five years old and said, I, I'm never doing this again. I can never learn how to do this. And he said, well, son, you really do want to learn how to turn your glove over because you're going to love this game if you can learn how to catch the ball that way. And we went back out that afternoon and it was the first time that I could turn that glove over and catch that ball. And, and the game began to come alive. That's the way it is with the kingdom, right? Even the disciples, the, the apostles, right after Jesus' resurrection, they were so confused about the kingdom as he's about to ascend up into the heavens. They say, Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom of David in Israel? Like they were still looking for some kind of conquering of the Romans and some kind of political kind of movement in Israel. They were just missing it. So badly, and we can too. Like we confuse, how does the church, is the church all of the kingdom? Is the kingdom more than the church? Is, is the kingdom just about doing holy things and sacred things and religious things? Or does it involve 
all of life, like teaching and studying and gardening and being a friend to a neighbor and going on a walk or a run or a hike, like how is all of life a part of the kingdom? We get confused about it. Is it supposed to touch into the political arena or not? How is it? What's the separation? We struggle with it too. So you've heard this series of sermons on the parables of the kingdom. What's the kingdom? It's the inbreak of Jesus to begin to make all things new. It's the, it's the breaking in of the king's way of life into a way of brokenness. It's like a stream of God's spirit coming into a parched desert place and bringing life. It's like King Richard coming back after evil Prince John has been reigning in the time of Robin. It's like Aslan coming black to Narnia after the white witch has made it always winter and never Christmas. The kingdom is God breaking in that begins now. It's like that breeze of autumn and then the fullness is coming. What are the parables? We've been studying them all summer. They're like Jesus' expressions, little sayings, different ways of what the kingdom is going to be like. You know, I grew up in Florida. We have one word for snow. Snow, right? This is the thing you never see, you know. It snowed once in my hometown in 100 years. Happened in ninth grade. We still had school that day. Can you tell I'm bitter about that? I am. Um, One word for snow. Like Eskimos, I hear, have 15 different words for snow. Because they see so much more in it. They're looking for nuances in, in all the different aspects of what snow is. These parables are like Jesus' Eskimo language for all the different ways that the kingdom of God comes and grows. And, and that's where we are today. The parable of the mustard seed in leaven. How does the kingdom grow? What are these two little parables taken together? Show us about how the kingdom comes and grows. I want you to think about this in four ways briefly with me this morning. First, realize, and these are all very basic, but, but they can catch us and they can move us. They can backdoor us if we let them and open up new vistas for us. First, the kingdom comes and grows from small to large. How does the kingdom come and grow? From small to to large. The mustard seed is the smallest of seeds, right? But it grows up to become the largest bush in the garden. The, the, the leaven is so small, right, that you can have a whole handful of it, but you don't really see it. But when it gets kneaded into the dough, it makes the dough rise up to be able to feed a whole family with a batch or even a whole community. Small to large. It's always the way God works, isn't it? When you think about his movements in redemptive history, one man and one woman, Adam and Eve, to create all of humanity. God's starting over again with Noah. One man, his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight in all, find refuge in this world so broken, so given over to violence and decadence that God says, I have to start over. I've grieved And God gives favor to this one man and his family and gives them sanctuary in an ark and begins again to populate and to redeem the earth. One man, Abraham and his wife Sarai, who were childless, 
who have nobody. And God says, I'm going to make you as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. I'm going to bring blessing to the world. Whole peoples of the earth are going to find the grace and mercy of God through you. And then, of course, it all boils down to one man, Jesus, the true Israelite, the fullness of Abraham's line, the hope of Noah, the seed promised to Adam and Eve after they fell in rebellion against God. This one man, fully man, perfect in every way, like us in every way, except without sin, who is also fully God. And through this one man, lifted up on a cross to die for the sins of the world, and then really dying, rising again, God brings salvation to a whole world. What's the promise at the end of all things? There will be 144,000, not a special number of really true believers like some kind of, you know, sex say to you, but a full number, 12, times a full number, 12, times an infinite number, 1,000. There it is, the stars in the sky, the sands on the seashore, all coming to find redemption and hope and joy and life around God's throne through Jesus, the one man, small to large. It's the way God works, but we're okay with that when we think about a redemptive historical thing, but how about in our lives we don't like it very much, do we? I've got this new job now. My job is traveling all over the country. In the past, I've been a preacher like Hal and the other guys, Todd and the other guys here, um, and pastoring churches, planning and pastoring churches. Um, you know, and, and so before, I would take a road trip you know, every couple of months, and my wife would say, when you're home, you eat the good stuff I make you. When you go out on the road, you can have whatever you want. You can eat that junk. Well, the problem is my whole life is a road trip now. <laughs> It's not going very well. Because when I go on the road trip, not only do I want junk, I want to go to the window and say, upsize it, please. Give me the large burger with the large fries and the large drinks. Upsize it. It's what we do with God so often, isn't it? Upsize the gospel in me now. Give me fullness now. May that addiction go away forever now. May I never struggle with that sin pattern of anger or bitterness and rage now. May, may I just put on joy and fullness now. May all kinds of people who I'm praying for just come to Jesus in mass now. We want to upsize things with Jesus, and we get mad at him when he doesn't do it that way. Our children's problems all fixed now. Everything that's wrong with this church made new now, and we get angry and bitter with God because we forget how the kingdom of God works from small to large. Where does Jesus just want you as summer is ending and as you're stepping into a new season of fall and life ahead, where, where does he just want you to make a small beginning with him, to plant some little seeds in the ground, to, to knead a little leaven into things? Where does he want you to just maybe pray 
for a few minutes every day for people in your neighborhood. You know, I went to an evangelistic conference this last week. It was amazing. People from all kinds of parts of the church up at Wheaton College who work with, with many other denominations besides ours, kind of people who have national missions leaders jobs like I do in these other denominations. And they were talking about best practices in their movements for seeing God really work. And the most stunning one of the largest movement that's seeing so much growth right now in church planning. A guy was being interviewed and he said, he said, well, the thing that we're seeing the most is actually is just the people in our churches have started taking one simple practice. When Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, they think, maybe that might actually involve my physical neighbor's. So you make a little tic-tac-toe board, and your house is in the middle, and you write the names of anybody you know on the houses around your house. And when you don't know those names, you begin to try to set out and try to get to at least know their names. And maybe then one thing about their lives they're wrestling with, and start praying for them. And, And we're just seeing amazing results from that of people coming to Christ and change happen just because people are praying for their neighbors. Where does God want you to just do one little thing that's fresh? I don't know what that thing is, but I, I urge you, maybe even today in your families, to stop and process this week ahead. Pray over that. What's my little mustard seed, God, that you want to plant afresh and, and me to be okay with whatever you do with that? Just remember before we leave this point, Some things can only happen. So many things in the kingdom can happen. Only by starting small. My my son and I, my son-in-law, went and saw Dunkirk yesterday. Just loved it. Now, if you're looking for some kind of explosive kind of high-tech, you're not going to get that. It's very true to the time. But Dunkirk is about the rescue of the Allied armies from the coast of France, which are just at this time Britain, and French armies, the British and French armies that have been pushed back to the sea by the Germans as they've taken over all of France. See, we like the Normandy invasion. We like the DD stuff where we're pushing the Germans back. We like to remember that. This is when our armies, our allies got pushed to the edge of the sea. And 350,000 men got ferried across the English Channel, not by British destroyers and battleships or cruisers, because they all got bombed to smithereens by the German Air Force. Because thousands of little seagoing vessels and boats and even rowboats at times went across that channel and took three or five or seven or ten men back across the channel until 350,000 people were ferried across so that an army was saved. If that retreat didn't happen in all those thousands of small ways, there would have been no allied victory. So much of the Christian life works that way. Where does God want to do something very small that has a potency in it to change the world? Small to large. Secondly, how does the kingdom come come and grow? across time. We've already hit on this. It takes time. You don't get to just upsize it all right away. The kingdom comes across time. You know, I did the same experiment. I sort of age myself. I'm 54. 
So you'll know this if you're in this general age. You know, when I was growing up, we did every year, I think, from pre-K to ninth grade, the same experiment, the bean experiment, I call it, where you get the little lima bean, and you buried that in the little solo cup of, of dirt, and you'd hope it would sprout. I was 0 for 11 or whatever on that. Mine never, ever sprouted and grew, ever. At least in part because I would constantly be digging it up and say, Mama, where's the, where's the sprout? And no construct of time. Time. It takes time for the kingdom to come and grow. And you never know where you are in the life cycle of the kingdom. If you're someone plowing up the ground... If you're someone sowing seed, if you're someone doing watering or weeding, or if you're going to be a part of a big harvesting season, but you have to trust the Lord of the harvest and his timing. You don't know when the leaven is going to really begin to grow and bloom. You just have to keep kneading it in. If it's really a damp season, right, it takes much longer for the bread to rise. You don't know, and you have to leave it up to the Lord in his timing. I'm always drawn back to a book by J.I. Packer called The Quest for Godliness. It's a book about the Puritan revival period in England and America. It's a great work. Has so many good things, but the best thing in that book for me has been Packer starts by telling a story about Richard Greenham. Richard Greenham lived about 50 years before the beginnings of the awakening in England and America. And Richard Greenham was in this little country parish, but Greenham was one of the first people that went and actually farmed with his people, planted and harvested went and set traps with his people, hunted and fished with his people, was there with them when they were sick, cared for them with them when they were dying, with them during plague, weeping with them and rejoicing with them, partying with them. But Greenham never really saw people come to worship. He never really saw any change. I think the most people he ever had in a worship service in his parish was 60 But so many of the Puritan leaders of the great revival and the great awakening draw lines back to Richard Greenham and say, either I I know someone who was there or I know someone who went and visited him or I've heard about him, I've read in his diaries how he took the gospel and pressed it down life on life and Richard Greenham was my model and my mentor even from afar. You don't Know what God is going to do across time and where you are in the life cycle. And you simply have to trust him. One more little story there on that point before we move on. Um, There was a young woman living in the middle of the 1800s in Ireland. And um, she was an orphan and she was young. But she married another boy who was an orphan, and they forged a life together. They scrapped together some funds for some land and began to farm that, and uh, they were making a life, and she was 19, and he was about 21 when she becomes pregnant, and she's pregnant with their first child, and suddenly her husband dies of the plague. He has no family for her to go to. She has no family to go to, 
and she's pregnant with this child. And so she walks down to the edge of this district by the river and is weeping and is asking God for courage to drown herself and her baby in utero because um, she doesn't want to bring another child into the experience she had. But across the way, on the other side of the river, on the bottom land on the other side, she sees a man farming. One farmer, one mule, one plow, but he is making these exquisitely straight lines, she notices. And then she begins to notice that he's singing while he's doing this. And he's singing a hymn that I know from church about hoping in God and the beauty of Jesus. And she was so moved by just this single farmer's little actions across the way to try to hack out beauty to the glory of God. When nobody else was watching, she was so moved by that. She said, okay, God, perhaps we, perhaps you can give me a way with my baby for us to hack out a way forward to your glory as time goes on. And instead of drowning herself, she went back and she went forward and she remarries and she becomes the great-grandmother of Oz Guinness who becomes one of the most important thinkers and writers in the Christian world in the 20th century. You don't know where you are in Christ's timelines. Trust him as he moves and works across time, yet be faithful to worship him and rejoice in him today, right where you are. The kingdom comes and grows from small to large. It comes and grows across time. Thirdly, it comes and grows from hidden to revealed. How does the leaven work? It's got to be kneaded into the dough, completely lost, as it were, right? For the bread to rise and grow. What does the mustard seed have to do? It has to be completely buried there in the ground for the bush to grow. What did Jesus say before he went to his crucifixion? John chapter 12. Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now the Son of Man will be lifted up and all the earth will be drawn to him. But he says, then right after that, the Son of Man must lose his life for this to happen. The Son of Man must be like seed buried in the ground and die so that a harvest will come. The only way the gospel passes through us and out beyond us to others if we are willing for our lives to be hidden, buried, lost as it were, kneaded in to the fabric. There isn't anything right more ordinary, more, more nameless right than a nameless woman kneading leaven that you can hardly even see even if you have a handful of it into dough so that it gets lost so that the bread can rise. I, I always wanted to be a pastor. I actually wanted to be 
a pastor before I became a Christian. My grandfather was a pastor. My, one of my best friend's dad was our pastor. I liked what pastors do, standing up and relating to people and communicating and preaching. Problem was, was I, the deal was never right that I was going to be obscure, <laughs> hidden. And it's not just pastors that are called to that. It's all of us. Are we willing for our lives to be lost so that the kingdom can come and grow? When Jesus is talking about that burying in the ground stuff, it's not just his ark he was describing. It's our story ark too. The cross is not just the ground of your salvation. It's the way of your life in the kingdom to die so that resurrection growth can come. Where does Jesus in this year ahead, you know, typically we think about the fall coming, new ways we're going to excel and new ways we're going to make a name for ourselves, and change will come. Maybe think about this fault. Where do you want me to die, Lord? Where do you want me to hide my life in a fresh way? Into a set of, of situations. Maybe it's just a relationship with the person across the street that is a time suck. But you know desperately just needs a life to be hidden in their life. Maybe it's a new way that you say, I, I'm, I'm stepping away from the high-profile things so that I actually can go and serve where I'm needed. Where my life can be lost and needed into the fabric and growth will really come. How does God want you to rethink life in terms of kingdom growth as the fall nears? Just a couple other little thoughts on this point before we move on to the last point. Um, if you have a position of power leading in education or, or leading in business or leading in your family, I know so much in Christianity in modern era has said your position of power is your real platform. That, that's your place you're really going to do something for Jesus. No. Your positions of power will never be the most important places. They will be the secret places the small places where your life is hidden. Life on life, leaven into bread, seed in the ground, so that a harvest can come. It also means that the most important thing in ministry is one-on-one. -one. Not having 500 women here for a Bible study or an RUF meeting. Not, not, not seeing how we can just pile up numbers at activities in the church. But how are lives touching lives to share Jesus and grow the life of Jesus? One life on one life. The original founder of RUF a man named Mark Lowry is a, is a little man, kind of a gnomish-looking little man. Nothing really special-looking about him. But his life has been multiplied thousands of times over with his concepts of how to do ministry. And he used to always say, you don't do a big meeting 
for itself. You do the big meaning to get to do the smaller meanings. And you don't do the smaller meanings for themselves. You do the smaller meanings so you get to have one-on-one life sharing. Where does God want you to just say, my life's available, Lord, one-on-one with that friend, with that coworker, with that classmate, with maybe one of those neighbors that I can't even write their name on the tic-tac-toe board now. Life on life. The kingdom comes and grows small to large across time as our lives are hidden and buried in the ground so they can be revealed. And lastly, as the kingdom involves all kinds of people. All kinds of people. Justin hinted at it when he read the passage from Ezekiel. In in this parable of the mustard seed, right? Jesus is leaning back and, and he's drawing on an Old Testament image. He's drawing on the Old Testament image of God growing a tree that could be so full and so large in his church and in his kingdom that all kinds of birds could find rest and shade in those branches. It's beautiful. And so it's beautiful what you've done as a church to try to say, how can we in our whole spheres of ministry just be open to more and more different kinds of people socioeconomically and ethnically and geographically and nationally who find themselves in greater Athens? How, how can we just be open? And I love the fact that you're considering even planting another church, you know, your third daughter church directly right here that might even be in this same neighborhood but has an expression of worship and ministry team style and life together that will be very different than this one because you're saying we want to make room for all kinds of birds of the air in Athens to come and find nests. I love that. May the Lord flourish you and keep growing that. Not just as you're planning churches, though, but as you're doing that in your life. Lord, how can my life make more room for all kinds of people to find the shade and the love of Jesus through the way that I live? But lastly, note this. It's not, it's not just a picture of who we can welcome But it's a picture of who we are. This is where these parables that have been walking together, like a highway, two highways traveling together, they, they, they divide. And the parable of the leaven divides here at the end. Here's your Bible quiz for today. Can you think of anywhere in the Bible besides right here where leaven is a positive thing? I can't, and I've studied this a long time. Leaven's always something you want to get rid of. Sweep out to get ready for Passover. Be on your guard against the leaven. The false teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees are going to lead you away from the grace and mercy of God. Leaven is something like we push away from us, whoa, uh, so that we don't fall off the edge, right? But here Jesus says, you're the leaven, but I love you and I want to use you and make you a part of making the dough rise. You're my people who really in yourselves 
aren't just different, you're undesirable in yourself. But I love you and I make you a part of my kingdom and I am making you new and I want to not sweep you away, but I want to knead you in to the fabric of my kingdom. This is how much the Father loves you through the Son. This is how much the Spirit wants to overwhelm you with the love of God, that you're leaven, I'm leaven. But not to be swept away, but to be kneaded in, reclaimed, and used for the fullness and the joy and the life of God's kingdom coming now and forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for all these stories, these words, these phrases on the kingdom of God in, in the parables. And Lord, we pray, oh Lord, oh we pray <laughs> that you would cause your kingdom to come and grow along these lines. Lord, help us to see it, to be ready for it from small to large and across time and from hidden to be revealed and involving all kinds of people, all kinds of people we could welcome, but all kinds of people like us, weak and broken and empty in ourselves, worthy only to be swept out. Lord, I pray for any here who this is all new to, that it's sort of her saying, I want to come into the kingdom, I want to be leaven that's reclaimed. Holy Spirit, give them a sense that how they can begin today, how they can come to Jesus, how they can ask him in today and start with him today. For those of us inside your kingdom, may you cause this life of the kingdom to grow and flourish in us, we pray. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.